Is there anything to talk about this week? How about Bucks and Saints? How about Jeff Duncan, columnist at the Times-Picayune? He knows a little thing about these Saints. Yep, that's what we're going to talk about. A good idea. You guys are great. It's coming up next on Datitude. If you're looking for the latest scoop and in-depth interviews on the Saints, the NFL, the Pelicans, LSU, along with the best bets of the week, then lucky you. Along with high-powered, in-the-know guests who cover our teams, Jim Derry brings plenty of datitude. And he'll always tell you the way it is, or at least the way he thinks it is. Where are you at, New Orleans? Hello to all my friends. Well, you know, the, the line... Around southern Louisiana, around the state, around the southeast, around the country, wherever you're listening. Thank you for joining us here on Datitude, episode number 91. We're a Friday, September the 16th, 2022. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Times McKean, the Advocate, and bet.nola.com. And we are set to talk about... The New Orleans Saints. What else? Bringing in Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday. And, uh, you know, for those of you who were listening to the live show earlier, we appreciate it. Every every Friday at 9.15 a.m. on all of our NOLA.com and bet.nola.com live stations, Facebook and YouTube. You'll be able to see it soon. Uh, I'm trying to get it back to where it'll also be on my Twitter feed. Um I have to pick and choose. We're working on that. Still a work in progress. But we thank you for joining us, those who joined us live. Those who didn't, thanks for being a part of our program once again. We're taking comments and questions if you want to join us live on Fridays at 9.15. Dunk will be with us every week. And uh, he's going to be with us here in just a minute. But uh, I want to give you my monologue first. It's going to be a short one. I know I say that every week, and then it turns out to be 10 or 12 minutes. But this one's really going to be a short one. Because I say pretty much everything I have to say throughout the monologue. And if you read my NFL picks column on bet.nola.com, then you know what I think. I think it's going to be a very tight, crazy game. Uh, I, I save my predictions for the live portion that is now taped because you're listening to You're obviously not listening to this live. I mean, even me, uh, Shaw Greg, can figure that out. Um, but um, it's going to be a tight game. Can they beat Tom Brady for the fifth straight time in the regular season? And fifth out of six overall the last six meetings. Um, yeah, they can. But I know they have to change some things. This offensive line is going to have to play much better than they played against Atlanta. Because there's going to be no big fourth quarter comeback this time if they fall behind by 16. That ain't happening. Um and at the same time, the Saints defensive line is going to have to play much better than they played against Atlanta. Now, granted, you don't have a quarterback like Marcus Mariota that can run all over the place and rush for 60, 70 yards. That ain't happening. But they do have Leonard Fournette. So in the end, it comes down to both offensive lines versus the opponent's defensive lines. And I know you can say that a lot about a lot of games. But to me, in this one, even more so, maybe than any other game the Saints play this year. Now, obviously, they play Tampa Bay again in December. So it could be a similar thing. 
But the Saints are a little banged up. Tampa Bay is even maybe more banged up. They've got problems on their offensive front. They've got major problems at wide receiver. Mike Evans has been banged up all week. My guess is he'll play. But Chris Godwin's probably not going to play. Julio Jones, will he, oh, shocker of all shockers. Julio Jones, it's week two, he's hurt. And that's the risk you take when you're the Bucs and you, you sign a guy like that. But they had to get someone to replace Antonio Brown. And Julio Jones last week was a major factor in their victory over the Dallas Cowboys. And they just beat up the Dallas Cowboys. But I will say this. Don't overreact. I say it over and over and over and over again. I say it every year this time of year. Don't overreact to what you saw in week one on either side. Don't overreact if you got your keister kicked. Don't overreact if you were in a tight game with a team you shouldn't be in a tight game with. And don't overreact if you were upset. A la the Denver Broncos. A la the San Francisco 49ers. Week one will be in the far rearview mirror and out of memory very soon. And so will the Saints-Atlanta game very soon. I mean, we'll think about at some point how this season started or whatever, but that's no way in no way now that they won. If they had they lost, it could have been a defining moment. But the fact that they won the game is not a defining moment. And if anything, that fourth quarter will help them give the Saints, I think, momentum going into this one. But again, offensive line against defensive lines. And Tampa Bay has their issues. The Saints certainly had their issues along the offensive front. The Saints defensive line did not play very well last Sunday. The Tampa Bay defensive front played excellent. Will Dennis Allen be able to dial up the same kind of things that Dennis Allen's been able to dial up uh, against this team over the past couple seasons? We'll find out. It's going to be a fun one. So let's get to Jeff Duncan, who has all the things that Jeff Duncan... I mean, there's no more knowledgeable person when it comes to the Saints than Jeff Duncan. And that's why we have teamed up to have our live show every Friday and have him on every Friday. We're going to get to it right here, and then we're going to come back, and uh, I'm going to wrap it up with our song of the day. All right, Jeff, we are ready to get started here and talk about the Saints and the Buccaneers this weekend. Bucks come in as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Nothing we haven't seen before, right? The Saints have now won all four games in the regular season of the Tom Brady era. And, um, I mean, when I was making my picks this week, I had a really tough one with this one. But if I had to pick it, I would pick the Saints only because I want to stop banging my head against the wall and being wrong. And so if I'm going to be wrong, I might as well be on the side of the good guys. Yeah, I'm with you. I think this is a real hard game to read because the Bucks opener against Dallas was really hard to get a good evaluation. Dallas is so beat up, had so many injuries in that game. It felt like a, a, an exhibition game for the Bucks, And so I think it's hard to read where they're at. And consequently, that Saints game was just so strange, right? The first three yeah. quarters, they looked awful. And then the last quarter, they looked like world beaters. So there's somewhere in between that, I'm sure. So I think we'll get a better definition of the of the 22 Saints in this game. And uh, I'm eager to see it. I, I, you know, we know that they match up very well with the Bucks. In a lot of ways, they're built, especially defensively, to beat the Bucks. And the Bucks have a number of injuries. Uh, you know, we don't know who's going to be available, but they came out of that Dallas game really banged up, and they were banged up going in. 
So I'm with you. If I had to, you know, put a gun to my head, I think I would take the Saints at home as underdogs. Uh, historically, they've been pretty tough in that scenario. And we've learned our lesson with picks, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about the picks part of this because this, this one is a really tough one. It's not one I would touch either way. Um, we'll get into our official final score prediction here at the end. But it, we talk about home dogs in a division game. And I, at the week one, I, I stayed with it for some point, so for so, a little bit, and then I got away from it in others. And, like, you look at the Colts and Texans. I mean, there's no way the Colts and Texans are evenly matched. And yet, they finish in a 20-20 tie. The Texans led throughout that game, and the, the Texans covered, and it happened elsewhere throughout the NFL. You give home dogs in a division game points, and more off, way more often than not, they cover. Yeah, and we saw it in the Saints-Falcons, right? I mean, That's right. I, I picked the Saints to, to blow out the Falcons. I was yeah. shocked that, uh, the way that game went the first three quarters. And you were just shocked that I was right. Uh, well, a little of that. I mean, I, I just I couldn't. The game didn't play out in any way like I thought. That's what I, I just had so much more uh, confidence that the Saints' defense would shut down that running game because no right. one's been able to run on the Saints, and they were getting gashed. I mean, uh, I know they prepared for it, but th- I think that was a little bit of the unknown factor in that game. Uh, you had Marcus Mariota at quarterback running a lot of read option. The Saints hadn't seen that before with the Falcons. And then you had Dean Pease, the defense coordinator, who's new, running a lot of different looks that the Saints hadn't seen. So I think there was a real extended feeling out process for the Saints in that game. That won't be the case this week. The Saints know exactly what they're getting uh, with the Bucks, and the Bucks know what they're getting with the Saints. So I, I, I don't know if you could say a lot of things will carry over from Atlanta. Jim Derry, Jeff Duncan here on the live portion of the Datitude podcast on this Friday morning. We have some questions in the queue I'm going to get to your questions in just a moment, but I, I do want to talk a little bit, as we did last week, and, and I want to do it here as well. I want to talk a little bit about last night's game, Dunk, just for a brief moment, because to me it was very interesting, and, and there was a lot of talk before the season, the demise of the Kansas City Chiefs and how it's the time for the, the Chargers or maybe Las Vegas to shine, maybe the Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson taking over that division. I said it in August, and I'll say it again. Patrick Mahomes is still in Kansas City, and to me, you can talk about Josh Allen. He's, the, according to my son, he's the best quarterback in the history of football. But there's still some guy named Patrick Mahomes playing for the Kansas City Chiefs, Dunk, and I still think that this team is the best team in the AFC. And to me, against one of the better teams, not only in their division, but against one of the better teams in the AFC as well, the Chargers, they got down 17-10. to 10. In fact, I think it was 17-7 at one point, and stormed back and found a way to win. And actually, I don't think the score is as convincing as that final score, as the game really was. Yeah, I mean, the Chargers kind of tacked on a late touchdown to make it close. Uh, Jalen Watson, a guy I'd never heard of, I think he was a six-round draft pick with a pick six that really yeah. turned that game around. Uh, you know, that, that was like a 14-point swing. But you hit on a great point. I mean, I think Mahomes is motivated this year. He did not have a good year a year ago and you know let's let's tip our hat to Andy Reid I mean this guy's done it for a long time he reminds me a lot of Sean Payton and that you know what you're getting very consistent they're always going to be competitive he's very creative offensively and um, man that, that was just great theater though watching uh, two of the elite young quarterbacks in the game 
uh, we're in a golden, uh, really beginning a golden era of NFL football, especially in the AFC with these young star quarterbacks. I mean, we had two on display last night. You got Joe Burrow. You've got uh, Lamar Jackson, um, you know, uh, Josh Allen. Cooper Rush. Yes, the AFC is going to be a bear. You know, it's going to be a bear that none of them are in the NFC. Now, I mean, now, you know, Russell Wilson's been traded to the AFC. Uh, So I think it's wide open a little bit for the NFC, especially, you know, gives an opportunity for a team like the Saints to make a a deep run because I really think this game remains a quarterback game. It's all the rules are geared towards it. And uh, if you don't have an elite win, I think it's hard to win a Super Bowl. Uh, That's why I think the balance of powers in the AFC. And there's nothing to say that if when you're talking about the NFC that Jameis Winston couldn't get hit, throw his name in that mix. I mean, he's still a, a young man when it comes to quarterbacks. He's still in his 20s. Uh, what, 28, I believe? I believe yeah, he's, he's still young. There's, people forget he's in his 20s, and he was the first pick in the draft for a reason. I mean, he made some throws last week that you see why he was the number one pick. I mean, the throw, long throw to Jarvis Landry was a thing of beauty. I mean, it could not be any yes, better. Yes, it was. And look, that's a throw, frankly, uh, you know, that Drew Brees couldn't make the last two or three years of his career. Uh, it, he just could not make that physically. Uh, the throw he made in, in single coverage to Mike Thomas on third down uh, was perfect. Uh, you know, it couldn't be thrown any but It was very Drew Brees-like with the accuracy uh, and the touch. Uh, so you see, we saw the good and the bad, the roller coaster ride that is Jameis Winston, all in one game uh, against the Falcons. You know, there's going to be frustrating moments where he holds the ball too long, he's confused, and then he's going to let a rip on a few plays. I mean, the, the the play that gets overlooked a little bit was that touchdown pass he threw to Mike Thomas, the first one. That was a laser back shoulder yeah. throw that Thomas, I'm, I still don't, don't know how he caught it. He's got incredible hands, obviously. But that was a big-time throw and catch. I mean, that was against A.J. Terrell, their, their best corner. Uh, and they went right at him, and uh, Mike Thomas won. So... A lot of encouraging things in that fourth quarter, a lot of discouraging things in, in the first three. Uh, I want to talk more about Jameis later on in the show. We got a couple comments, but I do want to get to the questions as well. It's Poppy504 says Who Dat. We thank you for joining us here on the live portion of Datitude this morning. Um, a question from Jason Brown. He wants to know if you think, I'm not sure who he means by his relationship with Mike T will be mended before this season is over with. I'm not sure whose relationship he's talking about with, but Mike Thomas. Oh, he's probably talking about me, I'm sure. I mean, Mike. Oh, do you have a tough relationship? Well, I mean, Mike Thomas is upset at a a column I wrote a year ago about his strained relationship with the team. And, and look, he's not the first player that's been upset about something I've written. Uh, And, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, he probably – I'm probably not his favorite writer right now. Uh, That's not the first time that's happened. Uh, I'm very uh, confident in what I wrote. Matter of fact, I stand by everything I wrote. I think if you ask anybody in the organization about what I wrote, they'd tell you every bit of it was true. Uh, So, look, if it gives Mike some motivation, if it provides a chip of motivational uh, material for him, then so be it. I can tell you this. Mike Thomas has done a 180. I mean, he's been very humbled, I think, by his injury. He's come back with a, a, a new attitude and from everything I've heard internally, he's been great. Uh, he's not aloof. He's not a loner like he was before. He's bought into what Dennis Allen's doing. Uh, he's engaging with his teammates, with the support staff. 
with fans. I mean, he signed autographs one day, J.D., after one of the training camp practices for about 20 minutes. I mean, this is a guy that didn't ever even sign autographs for a long time. Right. He, he just he just kept to himself, and that kind of carried over internally as well. And my my rule of thumb on athletes, on off-the-field stuff, the long as I've covered the league, is I don't really write about stuff until it, ha- it becomes a factor on the field. And it became a factor on the field with Mike Thomas. He got suspended for a game for being insubordinate to his head coach. You know, that's why he got suspended, not the fight with C.J. Gardner-Johnson. It was the way he reacted to Sean Payton afterward that he got suspended. So you, you miss a game because of your behavior with your head coach. Then you uh, fail to communicate with the entire team during a critical offseason when you're rehabbing an injury. No one can get a hold of you. That leads to a delayed procedure on your ankle that caused you to miss the whole next season. And it caused all kinds of friction internally with the front office. So then it becomes a story. And, and, and Mike Thomas knows that what, what went down on that. He wasn't happy that he got exposed. But, you know, our job sometimes is to write. Well, our job always is to write the truth. And in this instance, it, it needed an explanation. Jim Derry here with Jeff Duncan on a live portion of the Datitude podcast on this Friday morning. I, I, you know, I, I, I've said it often. It's different from me when I was covering high schools, but uh, I never had to write professional columns. So I, I avoided that. So my mind was strictly the facts when it comes to pro stuff. But it's happened to me in my high school columns where high school coaches don't necessarily understand. Sometimes they do. Um, but we have a job to do. And your job as a columnist is to write your opinion on what you saw on a particular either incident or game or event or over time, whatever it is. And, you know, when you're writing about something that's – we can't write all roses and sunshine because it's not always roses and sunshine. Our opinions are sometimes not well received. Well, I, I, let me just say this too also. Like sometimes I think fans or the public – think that you're just firing off at the hip with your yeah. opinion. And there are some people that do that. That's become really pervasive in our world of, say, uh, you know, ESPN, where you have these talking heads yelling at each other, and they're just firing off opinions. That's, right. That's not the case here. I've covered the New Orleans Saints. I've covered them for 22 years. I talk to everybody in the building. I have an informed opinion. When I'm writing something, it's always going to be rooted in my discussions with people in the Saints organization and oftentimes at the very highest levels of the organization. So it's not necessarily just an opinion from Jeff Duncan. It's an opinion that's been informed by people in the building. And I, I think sometimes people don't understand that because they watch so much you know, media these days where people aren't informed. And they're just that they're, they're paid to give their opinions on anything. And I call those mountaintop opinions because they're just spewing from the mountaintop. That's certainly not the case when I'm writing about the Saints. You know, one thing I used to get when I covered high schools is, you know, obviously a lot of what I would do is, uh, you know, Friday, Friday mornings, my predictions would come out for whatever game. And if I picked against a certain high school, it's because I hated that high school. And. It, it, that would always crack me up. If if you yeah. write something negative about someone or uh, it, it whew, man. So Jason says, uh, Dunk, because his question really unloaded a lot from Jeff. He gives his great answer. We thank you for the question. If anyone has questions or comments and you're watching this live, 
Write it in the comments section. It'll appear here, and we'll, we'll, we'll put it up on the screen. E. Lewis says, go Saints. Uh, we got some other uh, things going on here. So I want to put this one up from our friend Jerry, who joined us on the Bayou Bet Show all the time. And Jerry is a, is a regular. We thank him for, for joining us. The Saints signed Latavius Murray early this week. If Kamara is a no-go on Sunday, will we see Latavius Murray on the field? And will Paulson Adebo, will he miss a second straight week, or will he be ready to go against the Bucks? And I think I know your answer. Yeah. By the way, thanks, Jason, for that. I appreciate that. That's a good. That was a good question. Um, no, I, I look. I think Latavius Murray was signed for a reason. His familiarity with the offense certainly, uh, you know, accelerates the learning curve. And I think it also is, uh, you know, a little bit of a red flag for the health of both Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. So I would. I think he. We'll know more today when I get out to practice and yeah. see the status of, of Alvin Kamara. But I think Alvin Kamara not practicing on Thursday was definitely a bad sign. So it wouldn't shock me to see Murray. And look, Murray knows the system. He's a pro. He was very productive last year in a very similar role in Baltimore. Uh, you know, I don't know, to be honest with you, J.D., if anybody, though, is going to run the ball against Tampa. I mean, their run defense, if there's one better in the league than the Saints, it's the one the Saints are going to see this week. And now that they've added Akeem Hicks to that interior defensive line alongside. We know a little bit about him. Oh, what's that? We know a little bit about him. Yeah, well, I know. And you, you add him, a massive human being, into the defensive line next to V of A with those two linebackers behind him that get to run free because those two massive human beings take up so much attention in the middle. And then you got Devin White and Levante David, who are like heat-seeking missiles. Uh, they are very difficult to run on. And that's why I'm really intrigued to see what Pete Carmichael, Jameis Winston, and the offensive staff come up with to move the ball against this Saints, against this Bucks defense. I think the best way to move it is to try and attack them through the air because uh, it's going to be tough sledding on the ground no matter who's in the backfield. Also, Dunk, I think that if you take – less chances, you take fewer chances earlier in the season. If this were week 15 or 16 and the Saints were fighting for a playoff spot, I think they'd be more likely that you would – and I'm not saying AK is not going to play. I'm just saying, obviously, you would take more chances later in the season right. when, you're, when you're going for something than you are going to take in week two in a game that's obviously it's important. And I've talked, about, I've talked about all week that this is – one of the more important games of the season. You're fighting against Tampa Bay. Whoever wins this game obviously gets a leg up in the division standings, and you don't play Tampa again until December the 5th, I believe. So obviously it's important, but at the same time, you, you can't risk longer-term problems with missing Alvin Kamara, who is clearly the number one, I, I mean, even I think even more important than Jameis Winston and Michael Thomas. I mean, I think Alvin Kamara is the most important piece of this offense. Well, without if, if those guys can't go and Murray is the starter, and the good the good thing about it is the Saints have known this status since Monday, so yeah. they probably incorporated a contingency plan. I know they have, not probably. They have definitely incorporated a contingency plan into the game plan, and what that might involve is a lot of Taysom Hill. I mean, in a lot of That's ways, right. I JD, agree. Taysom Hill's like another running back. And, I agree. And he's a physical running back, and that's what you're going to need against this Tampa Bay defense. So it wouldn't surprise me to see a lot of Taysom Hill running the ball. We also talked about that on the Bayou Bed Show uh, yesterday. That It's every Monday and Thursday on most of these same Facebook and YouTube channels. But we talked about how 
I think it's important for Taysom Hill to, to be back there. I think he needs to be in the backfield. It, the dude can line up and play anywhere. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all if he got eight or ten carries. And I think there's an excellent chance that that happens. But you can't risk uh, your, your star running back, I think, you know, putting him in there and, and taking the chance. Uh, Tara Henry says we were banged up last season, too. No excuses. And you, you're right, like Tara. You, you don't make excuses. No matter what happens, win or lose, I, I don't think you saw Tampa Bay making excuses when they lost. And they're, they're talking about, you know, it can't be a rivalry if it's one-sided. And that's what it's been for the last, really, three years before Tom Brady got there. So, I mean, they, there are no excuses whether if you lose, you lose. And uh, you, you, don't make, you don't make excuses. Another one, and we never really got to Paulson and Adebo, but this one kind of, if you're a Saints fan, it's got to worry you a little bit. And, Poppy, thank you. Adebo must really be hurt. I mean, we're into week two now. We, we saw how great of a, a camp he had, Dunk. And for Paulson Adebo, he was missed last week. There's no question that Paulson Adebo was missed on the field. And I guess the good news, in a way, is Tampa Bay's receivers are banged up, too. We don't know which receivers are going to play for Tom Brady in the Bucks this weekend. But they really need to get Paulson Adebo back out on the field as soon as they can. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder, and I don't know this, I'm, I'm not speculating, but if, if it's a high ankle sprain instead of just a regular Which would be a problem. Sprain, because he's been out a number of weeks. He was out a number of weeks in the preseason. Uh, and those those can take, you know, four to five weeks sometimes. Uh, I thought Bradley Roby was fine last week. I mean, but they're going to be tested much more uh, in the secondary with Tom Brady and in that receiving core. You're right, J.D., uh, their receiving core is banged up. Their offensive line is banged up. Uh, and, uh, you know, Tampa Bay certainly comes in a much more injured team than even the Saints. So uh, you, d- you don't make excuses like Tara said. It's one of the more refreshing things uh, I think that Sean Payton instilled in this organization was the no-excuse mantra, do not play the victim card. Uh, they haven't done it in the past, and I don't think Dennis Allen in his tenure as coach will do it as, as well. Uh, I, I do think the Saints uh, – can you know take advantage of the fact that Chris Godwin's not going to play this week? You got a banged up uh, Julio Jones and Mike Evans. Uh, this looks like I know we're going to talk probably a little more X's and O's and and yeah. uh, you know betting angles later, but I just can't for the life of me see either offense in this game moving the ball 60, 70, 80 yards for dra- touchdown drives. I mean, I just think the defenses really will control things in this game. Uh, last question for now. Again, we're gonna we are gonna come back to questions throughout the show, but we like Dunk said, I do want to talk about X's and O's, and I do want to get into more in depth into the injury report for both teams, really. So I'm gonna take one more from Poppy here. Uh, when will the tight ends add to the offense? Because they have been mute. I think moot is is probably the word we're looking for there. They have been moot so far. I mean, it's one game. But, again, we didn't see a whole lot. I know Adam Trotman was kind of banged up a little bit. You did see Taysom Hill, maybe not in the role of tight end being a big part of the game. I, I think you also saw Johnson trying. Jameis Winston obviously likes to go to him. I think they tried to go to him a little bit. I, the first three quarters were just not – there was just not enough production to even count for, account for anything. So at, at the end, when you're talking about Jameis Winston just running down the field, he's looking for MT, and he's looking for Jarvis Landry, and that's who we found a little bit of Chris Olave mixed in. But do you think in this game plan this week they will try to involve the tight ends a little bit more? 
Yeah, well, look, Jawan Johnson did have a big catch. I think he had like a 30-yard catch there in the fourth quarter. Kind of really got the offense rolling. Remember, he hurtled over the defender. Yeah, uh, I, I forgot I, about that play. I was surprised, Jim. I mean, he, he played 45 snaps compared to 25 for Adam Troutman. I mean, I'm wondering if we're seeing if that was game plan specific or if we're seeing basically Jawan Johnson elevated to the, to the top tight end role in this offense. There's no question Adam Troutman's a better all-around tight end, certainly a better blocker. But Jawan Johnson is a terrific athlete, former receiver, and we saw it on that play where he hurdled the defender. Uh, and I know they're very high on him. Uh, he's a developing player, uh, an ascending player. Uh, and I, I think a little of that was a one-game body of work. We really have to wait and see a couple more games before we make any determination. But I know in, in the short history of Jameis Winston, the quarterback, he's not gone to the tight end very much. Uh, and I'm not right. saying that's a trend or anything, but you go to who your playmakers are. And right now the Saints have not had a Jimmy Graham-like playmaker at tight end. Got about 20 minutes left of the live portion of this Datitude podcast on this Friday morning. Jim Derry, Jeff Duncan, here with you across the NOLA.com platforms. Uh, we're doing this every Friday live at 9.15 a.m. for about 45 minutes. Uh, Duncan and I are going to partner up for the rest of this football season um, when he is able to do it. And uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the injury report. And there, you know, really both teams have, have their issues this week. Jameis Winston showing up on there. I don't think that's a huge deal. Uh, that's not a surprise that he's been limited in practice. I think they're going to take uh, as many precautions with Jameis as possible. Uh, Cam Jordan was on there. Traquan Smith uh, running back Dwayne Washington. And we talk about, you know, they add Latavius Murray. So it's not just the fact that Alvin Kamara is hurt. Obviously, Dwayne Washington is, is having his injury, uh, his issues as well. Mark Ingram had his issues. And so uh, also, Alante Taylor it was limited on Thursday as well. Marcus May and Calvin Throckmorton were both uh, upgraded back to full participation status after um, after they had some illnesses and, and Marcus May had an ankle issue. And which of these injuries that we talked about, and we've talked about Paulson and Debo and Alvin Kamara, but uh, of the other injuries, is there anything that concerns you going into the week? No, actually, I think they're pretty damn healthy other than the backfield with, with the running backs. I mean, obviously, missing a Debo is a factor. But Bradley Roby's a vet. He's fine. And, and the Saints have depth in the secondary. Uh, you know, one thing that was a little concerning for me in the game, uh, J.D., and look, this was game one. I don't want to make a blanket statement here. But, uh, you know, the run defense, in particular, the play early on of DeMario Davis was not, not strong enough. I mean, right. DeMario Davis is usually the – the thumper back there, and um, I did not think he he played very well in that game. Pete Warner obviously did, led the team in tackles, had the big punch out, forced fumble, and I didn't think Tyran Matthew, other than falling on that fumble by Marcus May, was much of an impact. So I want to see if those guys, those thirty-something def defenders the Saints have, if that was just a one-game, you know, a one-game wonder, or if it's something that we're going to see developing over the course of the season for guys that are in their in their 30s. Jerry and Jason, we're going to get to your, your comments slash questions because they're very similar in, in a little bit. But I want to talk about the Tampa Bay injuries, Duncan. If you look at who, they have a list of walking wounded themselves. I mean, Mike Evans is was a non-participant in, in Thursday after being limited on Wednesday. So he's going in the wrong direction, Mike Evans. If he doesn't play, now, 
if you're just a fan of football, you want to see Mike Evans on the field because we, we love the drama that we've seen with Mike Evans against Marshawn Lattimore over the past couple of years. That has been kind of fun. But if you're a Saints fan, then obviously we'll save the, the, the fun for December when they play Monday night on a Monday night in Tampa. But not only Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, I'm almost certain that he's not going to play. And now, and Julio Jones has got a knee injury already. Go figure. Shocker, Julio Jones right. is hurt. He hasn't. He didn't practice either. So, and Russell Russell Gage and Brashad Perriman were were limited. So it's a walking cast of wounded for Tom Brady's uh, weapons over there. It also feels like I think we might be seeing a larger trend here in the NFL where veteran guys that know what's going on, you know, Julio Jones, guys, Mike Evans, uh, you know, even on the Saints side of things, Mark Ingram. Belichickian. Well, yeah, I just think they might be. They they don't really need to practice anymore. I mean, they're they're in shape. They know the. They know the the game plan. Right. Mentally, they're they're good to go. Maybe giving them some days off during the week. This game's become so violent, and we we've have all these advances in sports science and 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 how to get recovery. Maybe that's what we're seeing. And you know, it'll be interesting to see who who plays on Sunday out of this group of veterans. Now, the one guy that I think you didn't mention that is a huge factor is Donovan Smith, the left tackle for the Bucks. That's right. We're already riddled with injuries on the interior, starting some really young guys. And now if you're missing Donovan Smith, the guy who's actually been owned over the years by Cam Jordan, but he's still a veteran guy and, and a high-level player, if he can't go, I'm telling you, I don't see how Tampa Bay consistently moves the ball against that Saints front seven on the ground, especially if they're going to have to rely on Tom Brady's brilliance, getting the ball out quick, compensating for their their lack of protection. And he's going to have to do that very quickly. And the Saints, what they do, Jim, against the Bucks is they get physical on the perimeter with their DBs, really get in the faces of the, of the opposing receivers, reroute them. They try to get their hands on them, delay their routes, upset, the timing of the Saints offense, because that's what Brady, much like Drew Brees late in his career, he relies on timing, getting the ball out quick. He knows where he's going with the ball almost before the snap. The Saints disrupt all that and give give that defensive line that extra split second or two to get to him with their power rushing. And it's been it's been the kryptonite for Tom Brady over the last two seasons. And we'll see if that carries over this week. But with those lack of perimeter players, veteran perimeter players, I think it might be tough for them to get open for Brady, and he may have to hold the ball. That's why I say I think defense is really in control of both, both sides of this game. To to your point, Jerry asked, he says, Brady this Sunday, he says, he says five or more for the Saints' D to get back on track talking about sacks because, you know, after last week, no sacks. They couldn't get to Mount right. Marcus Mariota. But obviously Tom Brady is a completely different kind of quarterback. Um, I don't think we need – I think it goes without saying that he's – lacks a little bit in the mobility department. So uh, He's like me and you back there, man. He's a statue. Uh, well, I don't know about me. I mean, you still run. So, I mean, I, I my running days are – my knees are shot. I'm lucky if I can walk around the block about uh, twice. So, but, I mean, you, you got to think that it's it's on the minds of the Cam Jordans and the Marcus Davenports and, and everybody else that's that's on along that defensive line that they were not able to penetrate the Atlanta offensive line last week. And to have zero sacks, I think they take big pride in that. They are going to be going after 45-year-old Tom Brady this Sunday. 
Well, I think the reason they didn't get to Mariota was because they couldn't stop the run. I mean, it all starts with stopping the run. And I thought Atlanta, Arthur Smith, uh, they had a really creative game plan. Once they were able to run, it allowed them to kind of use the passing game at, at different times. They really didn't lean on the passing game. They threw on first down when the Saints weren't ready, and they were very efficient doing it. But it started with the running game, and, and that's where everything starts for the Saints. Now, one thing I would say that I think fans should pay attention to in this game that they may not be thinking about, but I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but it reminded me, it reminds me of Randy Mueller back in the Super Bowl when Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl. It was in the Superdome, 2001. They upset the greatest show on turf in the Rams, and they were double-digit underdogs in that game, if you remember. It's hard to believe. Am, that. Yeah. They were 12-point underdogs, I believe it was. And I remember seeing Randy Mueller at halftime, and it, the Rams were really struggling offensively. Randy was the general manager of the Saints, and I said, does it surprise you what, what the – Patriots are doing he said no when I saw how the officials were allowing the Patriots defensive backs to to bully to you know to hold to grab to reroute the, those those you know finesse receivers for the Rams he goes I knew it was going to be a dogfight and I think we need to pay attention to that this week Sean Hockey Lee's the referee for the game his crew called the second most penalties in the league last year if they start calling the Saints DBs for their hands, you know, illegal contact beyond five yards. That's stuff the Saints do routinely. I mean, they they live and die on their ability to be physical on the perimeter with these receivers. And if they get, start getting called for it, it's going to make uh, things a little easier for Tom Brady. But if they allow it, if they allow those Saints DBs to get physical, then I think uh, Tom Brady is really going to struggle. And I think the Bucks, in turn, offensively, are going to struggle to move the ball. Guns Jr. Is, is coming to New Orleans. You know, Ed Hockley, they used to call him Guns. Yep. And, yeah. uh, so Gun- it, it, look, Sean Hockley is one of the more respected officials in the league. So was Ed, his father. Uh, I know we sometimes focus too much on the officials here, but I do think it's relevant in this case because of the way the Saints have succeeded in defending the Bucks. It's going to be a, a, a factor in this game. We focus on the officials. I mean, it's scary that I know most of their names. I mean, I guess when you when you you know do betting or whatever, you're supposed to know who these officials are. And but I've always known them. I mean, I, I think for the last thirty years, I've known the names of almost every uh, head official. And there's a couple that are retired now. That thank God they're gone. But that's a whole another story uh, for another show. But um, we got about ten minutes left here in the live portion of this Datitude podcast. Uh, we are we welcome any comments or questions. And in about five minutes, Duncan and I are going to give our final scores uh, predictions. And if you want to give your final score prediction, feel free. We'll we'll tack that on when we're giving ours in just a few minutes here. But uh, Duncan, I do want to circle back to Jameis Winston and talk about you know it was a tale of you know you, you like to say a tale of two halves sometimes. To me, it was a tale of. The good Jameis was was around for just one quarter. The bad Jameis was for the first three quarters. But as I told a lot of people who – I had so many people just come up to me this week. I, I play poker on Sunday nights. I think I've made that clear on this podcast. And all my poker buddies wanted to know, Jameis – which Jameis is the real Jameis? Does he suck that bad that he played the first – the dude didn't have any time to throw. The We never got to the offensive line and how bad – I don't know that I've seen a Saints offensive line 
play as bad, as poorly as they played in the first three quarters against Atlanta. And I'm not sure what the heck was going on there. Well, I would say this. I don't know if it was necessarily the line. It was it was the it was the offensive execution That's as a it. whole. Uh, you know, most of it wasn't uh, you know a, a lineman getting just beaten physically one on one or getting getting bull rushed or anything like yeah. that. It was it was communication issues between the line, the quarterback, maybe even the the play caller because the the protection scheme is built into the play call. And then we also see the, you know, the communication between Jameis and Eric McCoy, who identifies the, the middle linebacker, which basically establishes the protection uh, once b- before the snap. All that was way off. And, and credit Dean Pease, uh, who's a, you know, really respected defense coordinator. He obviously identified some weaknesses in the Saints' protection schemes, and they exploited it. And I guarantee you, Todd Bowles. And the Bucks defensive staff saw that on film and is going to test the Saints to make sure that they've got those errors fixed because it was massive. I mean, it wasn't just the offensive line. I mean, guys were running clean to the quarterback. That's a protection issue in the communication. It's a blown assignment. Somebody's missing something. It's not just the line getting beaten. And a lot of times it's the backs. I saw Alvin Kamara blow an assignment that allowed a free rusher to get to Winston. And then another time, the disastrous play Mark Ingram had where he fumbled. If you go back and watch that, I mean, he missed a free rusher who came straight clean, caused Winston to have to scramble around. He underhands it, you know, shuffles it off to Ingram, and he ends up losing the ball. That's that's on Mark Ingram. Uh, And the backs are always taught, just for for everybody out there who may not know this, they're always taught, look inside out first. So you always take free rusher or somebody pressure coming inside, you help there. Then you work your way out. And both those times, they missed rushers coming through the A-gap or right off the guard. And uh, that's, you know, unacceptable for veteran running backs like those guys who usually are very good in pass protection. Yeah, I mean, and I also talked about, uh, I think that Jameis Winston, to me, when he plays with a little bit of reckless abandon, I hate to put it that way yeah, because we don't, we don't want to see the 30-30 uh, Jameis Winston, I think 35-15 is okay. But to me, when he just lets loose, he is a great quarterback. I, I know people, I, I hate the haters. I mean, I don't get it. But when he's trying to control himself, and I think this is partly Pete Carmichael, and they're trying to put him in a place to succeed. But when he goes out there and says, okay, it's the fourth quarter, we're losing by two touchdowns, I can't think about this crap anymore. I just got to go out and play football. And when he just goes out and plays football, he's among, to me, one of the top seven or eight quarterbacks in the NFL. Well, he can certainly throw the ball as well as anybody I've ever seen. I mean, those some of those throws were elite. Uh, I think the problem with Winston traditionally has been uh, when people throw things at him he hasn't seen, uh, when they you know force him to make quick decisions, sometimes he's not made the right decisions. And we've seen that show up with the interception totals. But he hasn't done that so far. Uh, with the Saints, and I think this is that's going to be a critical factor in this game. Like I, I said, I think defenses are going to dominate. We know the way the Bucks play; uh, they they sit back a lot in zone, uh, but they wait on you to make mistakes. They try to pressure you and force you into a mistake. And Jameis Winston knows this better than anyone. This is going to be a game about patience. I think taking the opportunity when it's there to strike for a big play, but more more than anything, it's going to be don't. 
mess up because these defenses are going to be tight. I think it's going to be a field goal game. And look, we saw Will Lutz already win a game with his ability to, to nail a pressure kick. Dennis Allen told me this in preseason. I wrote about it in my column Sunday. He said, I think everyone needs to get comfortable, including our players, our coaches, and our fans, with winning close games. they got to get comfortable with these nail biters. And we've already seen one. I think we're going to see another one Sunday. I agree. I, I think I don't, I'd be surprised if this game, either way, is decided by more than four or five points. I, I just would. And we're going to get to our predictions in, in just a minute because we only have a few minutes left in the live portion of, of Datitude here on this Friday morning. September the 16th, it is our third live show. We appreciate you joining us every Friday at 9.15 a.m. Duncan and I will be here on these same bat channels, same bat time. Uh, Dunk, I, I, the last thing I want to talk about and get your opinion on, because we haven't talked since last week, and um, is Pete Carmichael. I thought that, you know, it's kind of the same as Jameis. And the, those moments at the end when Jameis, for the first time he spikes the ball and the mistake spiking the ball and he gets the intentional granted penalty, we talked about that during the week, and I, I think anyone could have done that. I mean, I, I thought the clock was running as well. Dennis Allen thought the clock was running. Jarvis Landry obviously thought the clock was running. He was running back to the line of scrimmage. So in... I mean, it's not something you want to happen, and you need to pay closer attention to these details, obviously. But it's, that one's understandable. The second spiking of the football with 25 seconds left, which allowed Atlanta to move down the field and get themselves in a position to try a 63-yard field goal with a little help from Marshawn Lattimore, by the way. Um, a lot of help. Me, yeah. Well, to me, kind of showed that I think Pete Carmichael, without Sean Payton in his ear, Maybe it was underestimated a little bit. I think kind of showed up throughout the game, and especially in the fourth quarter, that without Sean Payton in his ear, there obviously is, a, is going to be a growing process, and these guys are going to have to figure it out. That includes the coaching staff as well. Well, Dennis Allen said it Monday. He goes, it was week one for all of us, and I think that was a perfect way to put it. I mean, uh, they've, they've worked hard to correct some of those issues uh, with clock management. I asked Dennis Allen about it on Monday because that second spike was egregious. But I would say, I don't know how much it saved. It probably saved them a few seconds because Atlanta had three timeouts, and they would have, sure, used one right away once they saw the Saints weren't going to spike it. I think they saw him spiking it. Five seconds would have made a difference. Yeah, no, I know. And the other thing is it forces them to use a timeout, which then they have even fewer fewer timeouts with their next drive. But you're right. you got to know that situation. Uh, that's that's part of playing quarterback in the NFL. I was surprised at Jameis, but it was such a chaotic situation. But that's stuff you got as the quarterback of a team. You got to know. I blame Jameis Winston more, and I blame Pete Carmichael in that situation. And I'm not just blaming Pete Carmichael, but there were different instances throughout the game. I think yeah. when you would have had Peyton in Pete Carmichael's ear, or obviously making calls himself. He would have said, we need to do such and such, or we need to do this. They would have changed things. I guarantee you Alvin Kamara wouldn't have only touched the ball ten times had Sean Payton been on that field last Sunday, and I think it just got kind of lost in the shuffle. Well, they just didn't have very many plays the first three quarters because they didn't sustain any drives. They had so many, yeah. like, three and outs, and uh, you know, they just didn't have a lot of time to get the ball spread around <clears throat> to people. But I would say this. I mean, one thing I found out this week is – you know, they've streamlined the communication 
on the offensive headsets. Right now, the only ones going to be on that offensive headset are going to be Pete Carmichael, Dennis Allen, and uh, uh, Bill Becknell, who's the basically the Saints offensive analyst, veteran offensive analyst. That's it. I think they have more people on that channel. It might have led to some of the confusion. Yeah, uh, too many sense. voices. Uh, so that, that, that's what good coaches do. And I think Dennis Allen is a very smart guy. Monday they did a overhaul, inventoried everything that went wrong in that game. I know they spent the team meeting showing all the things that went wrong, including something that maybe not a lot of people noticed, but on that Jarvis Landry long reception, you notice the whole Saints sideline celebrating, yeah. including the guys that are supposed to be the get-back coaches. Their whole job is to get everybody back. <laughs> they were the ones caught up in the moment celebrating with Jarvis Landry that led to maybe Dennis Allen not seeing that the clock was stopped. Uh, they got all that corrected as well this week. I don't think you'll see that happen again. Uh, they're going to have to correct that for sure. So that'll be an interesting uh, piece to look at. And I, and I agree. I mean, I, it is week one, and you don't want to get on anyone. And, you know, it's the same. You know, Broncos fans are all over Nathaniel Hackett for the boneheaded call he makes at the end of Monday night. But it was his first game as a head coach. Yeah, I mean, all these – and we're going to spend like three minutes at the end of the show talking about LSU Mississippi State because I want to get your prediction on that as well. But I, I watching social media and people getting all over Brian Kelly – after two games, it's the most absurd thing. I mean, it is the beginning of a season and the beginning of a tenure, actually. So Nathaniel Hackett can make boneheaded mistakes, and the Broncos could be the best team in the AFC East by either the end of this year or at some point next year, and people will forget that he made that call. Um, you know, and the same as Brian Dable. I mean, he looks like a genius. He goes for two against the Titans with a minute and a half left, but it changes the way the Titans play the final minute and a half of the game. Had they just gone for the tie, the Titans maybe are more inclined to play for a tie. Instead, they get a chance at a 47-yard field goal that, frankly, Randy Bullock should have made, and the Titans should have won that game. They didn't, but there's a lot more talking about Brian Dable's decision had the Titans made that field goal. So, I mean, we can't figure out one or two games of a, of a coach's career or tenure it, it, to to criticize or to, to get overly critical, I guess is the way to put it, is a little ridiculous. I think what epitomizes that that mindset you're talking about is the Florida Gators. I mean, first week, yeah. a guy makes a great play in the end zone to end the game, and they win the game against Utah, and everybody's hailing Billy, Billy Napier and Anthony exactly. Richardson and, uh, you know, Heisman candidate and, uh, you know, right. greatest coach ever, LSU screwed up. Because one play, I mean, if Utah – Punches that in, they win the game. That's right. And then the next week, they both fall flat on their face. Likewise, everyone was criticizing Brian Kelly. Well, I mean, if they make the extra point and they go into overtime and win the game. That's right. You know, it's just it's one play. And nobody's and I, talking I, about I, the decision at all. Yes. I go back to um, what's what one coach told me about over this offseason. He goes, go back and look at Kirby Smart's first year at Georgia. I think they were 6-6. Six and six. Yeah. They lost – uh, I know a non-conference game, it was really ugly. I can't remember who it was against. But they stuck with it. Take them, took them a little while to build the program. Uh, we live in a, a microwave society where everybody wants instant gratification. These things don't happen overnight. That's And that's the worst part. Uh, well, there's a lot of bad things about social media. I don't want to trash too much because we use it to our advantage as much as we can. And we're using it right now, as a matter of fact. But, uh, you know, there are some detriments to social media that uh, – it, it boggles the mind sometimes. I mean, it really, it really does, and it 
It bothers. Frankly, it bothers me. That's why I stay <laughs> off of social media. On your soapbox, man. I, I get off of social media on on Saturday nights and Sundays. I, I I go and post something sometimes, but I'll post it and immediately get off. I can't I can't look at it, man. It's just it, it's hard to believe there are human beings that think the way they I, do. One rule of thumb I do have that I've adopted over the years with, with especially on Twitter because we're we're supposed to be on Twitter during the games. Yeah. And, and and early on when I was first on Twitter, like in 2009 and 10, uh, man, it, I was just taken aback during the games with how uh, emotional the the responses would be right. to my tweets. And I've learned on game days, you just got to let people vent. I mean, they're 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 out of their minds. People are out of their minds. They're emotionally. That's also the true. They will say things that they normally wouldn't say, uh, you know, civilly to somebody else. And you just have to let people have a wide berth during a game and even after a game to maybe an hour to calm down uh, because uh, some of the stuff I get on my Twitter feed during a game is over the top. But I learned just just let it go. People will come back to being. Themselves. I guess it's kind of like road rage. You know, you, you're driving along. You Emotion. don't know somebody cuts in front of you the wrong way. And now you want to go and send the guy in a ditch. I mean, and that's what when you have calm down, everybody. Well, when you have when you have the ability on social media just to fire off something right. without react, you know, not taking the time to contemplate it, uh, it can just be instant. That's the beauty and the curse of, of social media. All right, let's get to our score predictions. We have come to that point of the live Datitude podcast where we are going to give you our predicted score. Before we do that, uh, we have one. If you want to, you got about a minute or two to hurry up and and comment your prediction of the score. Jerry says he's got the Saints winning 28-17. to 17. Before I, I give my prediction, and Dunk's going to go first, but like I said, I'll be shocked if this game is further away than four points. I, I think it's going to be crazy all, all day long. Dunk, go ahead with your, your score prediction. I like Jerry's prediction. That's a good one. I think it's going to be low scoring. I think there's going to be a lot of field goals. Suck-ups are a very good field goal kicker as well. So I'll do, I'll do something very similar, like 1916 Saints. Uh, it's hard for me to go against the Saints as underdogs in the Dome. They've traditionally, other than that little stretch last year when they were so riddled with injuries, uh, they've been almost unbeatable as underdogs in the Dome the last five years. So I'll take those points. And uh, I think that the Houdat Nation on Sunday is going to be amped. Uh, this is going to be the first major game they've had in a while there. And I think the atmosphere is going to be incredible. I think it's going to cause a lot of problems for that young offensive line. you got a lot of guys planning their first major NFL game like this. I guess their second since Dallas. Uh, but they're going to be put to the test uh, against uh, the Saints in that atmosphere. I think it could be a factor. You know, and it's going to be interesting. Well, another interesting piece is people might not realize that this is the, you know, they, they were on the road in week one. They're on the road in week three. They go to London in week four. So this is the only home game in the Dome, the first month of the season, and which is kind of crazy. And it, it makes things hard. So, I mean, it, it, even more importance on this game to win it. Uh, not that really that plays a factor on who I decide to pick because it's important for every team. Every game is important. So that's, that's kind of silly to say it like that. But then after that four-game stretch, the Saints are home for three, I think three out of the next four weeks after that. So that, that'll be a good time for the, the Dome crew to – to get fired up, but uh, so enjoy this one. We won't be at home. Uh, we'll say we the, the Saints won't be at home again in New Orleans. I think till October the ninth. 
is the next is the next home game after that. Dave D. Benedetta says who that and uh, Poppy has his score prediction. He says thirty one seventeen Saints. All right, well I'm on the same kind of train as Dunk. We were far apart last week. Dunk thought the the Saints would wipe out the Falcons. I thought weird things would happen, and it's okay. I mean, I'm I'm wrong quite often, and I hear it all the time about how wrong I am. Uh, so I happened to get one right last week. But the Saints-Falcons, are always, it's always a weird game, especially in Atlanta. Uh, weird stuff happens in, the, in that rivalry. Um, and I kind of didn't want to go against my own golden rule, which was a home dog in a division game. I just didn't want to give Atlanta five and a half points. I thought they would cover. I thought the Saints would win with a Lutz field goal. And I actually kind of got one right for a change. All right, let's see if I can get this one right. I don't see this again. I don't. I don't know how many ways to say it. It's going to be tight throughout. I don't think at any point of the game will there be a team with more than a touchdown lead. And I think when it comes down to the end, it's going to be within four, one way or the other. If I had to, if someone said this, this sixteen games this week, this would probably be the fifteenth or sixteenth game I would bet. That's how unsure I am about this prediction. I don't like the pick, but I don't like the other way either. I'm going to say New Orleans 23, Tampa Bay 20. I think it goes under the 44 just barely. I think the Saints cover. I think the wins, Saints win straight up. But they have got to find a way to protect Jameis Winston because I know the Saints are going to get at Tom Brady, Jeff, but that, what, that O-line, and I don't want to overreact, but the O-line that I saw last week really kind of scares the bejesus out of me if you think the Saints are going to to win the game, they have to find a way to protect better. Yeah, no, I think I think the trenches will decide this game. And if the Saints are allowed to get physical defensively, I think it's a, a big bonus for the New Orleans Saints. I think they're going to be very motivated. You know, there's a lot of stats out there, J.D. You start 2-0, uh, man, the numbers are really in your favor to make the playoffs. You can go 1-1 and still make it. The teams this week that fall to 0-2, I think is 11% chance to make the playoffs. There's a big difference between being one and one, zero oh and two, and two and zero, oh, uh, historically at least in the NFL. So I like the Saints as an underdog. I like a low-scoring game. Uh, it's going to be a, a big game for red zone offense, red zone defense. The team that's able to punch in touchdowns when they get down there, those few opportunities, instead of settling for field goals. I know that sounds very uh, elementary, but it, in this game, I think it's it's vital to be able to score a touchdown as opposed to three points. If you like the Saints, you can go into Caesar's Sportsbook. And the last I checked, it may be a little bit different now, but it's going to be pretty close to this between now and Sunday. I don't think it's going to change very much. I don't think that spread is going to change at all. So if you're waiting for it to get to three, you can wait, but I don't think it's going to get there. Uh, so if you want to bet the Saints, um, if you want to bet the spread, I would probably wait till Sunday. It might get to three. If you see a three, jump on it. I don't think it's going to change because it's pretty much two and a half everywhere I've looked. But these are the numbers at Caesars Sportsbook. As of early this morning, uh, the money line, if you want to bet on Tampa Bay, you got to lay $100, you got to lay $145 to win $100. If you want to bet on the Saints straight up, if you bet $100, you can win $122. That is the odds at Caesars Sportsbook. As Duncan and I come close to wrapping up the live portion and we went a little bit long today but I, I do want to ask your thoughts on LSU and Mississippi State it is only the second time in history that LSU is an underdog at home to Mississippi State the last time came in 2000 
a crazy game that Scott Rabelais had in, a, in his column this morning about the five most memorable games in, in LSU history. If memory serves, Mississippi State was actually ranked. They were like 16th in the country. It was Nick Saban's first year at LSU. And LSU found a way to win at home. I think it was like 45-38 or something along those lines. They were The Tigers were five-and-a-half-point underdogs. Brian Kelly's first year here in Baton Rouge. We've seen a tale of two different LSUs. Which Tigers team do you think we see this week hosting the Mississippi State Bulldogs and two-and-a-half-point underdogs? I think you gotta you gotta take the points. Just play the percentages. I mean, the Saints. I mean, Saints. LSU's owned Mississippi State in this rivalry. I think they're like seven wins for every three losses. Uh, historically, I know there's different circumstances here with a, a new coach and, and really a rebuilt roster in, in LSU. But I think last week's game did one thing. It gave them a lot of confidence. Uh, that's the game they needed to play before Florida State, and I think there might have been a different outcome. Uh, because yeah. the, the LSU got back into a rhythm offensively. I think they got some confidence up front, and, and I like them in this game. It's hard to get a read on either team right now. I mean, I, I don't know what to think of Mississippi State. I know they had a big win on the road against Arizona, but I just think in Tiger Stadium, first big game in Tiger Stadium, first SEC game, uh, again, I, it's almost the same principle I apply to LSU, I mean, to the Saints, both two-and-a-half-point favorites, uh, as home do- uh, two and a half point home dogs, uh, I'm going with those points. Two years ago against this team in Tiger Stadium, this air raid offense, Mike Leach came in and destroyed LSU. Yep. I mean, absolutely obliterated them, 600 and some odd yards passing. Um, I don't think it's going to be that bad, but I do think that Will Rogers is going to have a good game. I think uh, it's LSU is not DBU right now. Um, that's not who they are. Uh, they, those DBs are long gone, and I think that Mississippi State is going to have, unfortunately for LSU fans and alums like myself, um, I think that they're, they're going to have success. And uh, I think it's going to be a long day for the Tigers. And the haters of Brian Kelly will be going rampant on social media if Mississippi State wins this game. But I say this because I think Mississippi State, there's value on this line at two and a half. I think objectively, this line should be more like five, five and a half. I think that's how much Mississippi State should be favored. So I think it's more as much of a play on the value of the line as it is what I've seen so far. But I think Jaden Daniels is going to have a decent game. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it'll be a fun game to watch for the casual fan, maybe not for LSU. But I'm going to say uh, Mississippi State wins it, uh, let's say, 38 to 34. I think it's going to be a high-flying fun game to watch again as long as you're just a casual fan and not a fan of LSU or Mississippi I look I'll say this JD I had a, I had a, a colleague a, a guy that is known to wager a little bit on mm-hmm. sports who knows what he's talking about usually he thinks Mississippi State is his best bet of the weekend he, he thinks similar to you they're going to be hard to stop and that uh, they're going to exploit some things in the LSU defense and I think there is one thing to point out I mean the loss of Mason Smith, I mean, can't be underestimated. He was their best defensive Agreed. player. This is a guy that could be a top five, top ten NFL draft pick. Uh, you know, you lose him to that front four, that's that's a blow. The LSU has any chance, their defensive line has to get pressure. They have to get pressure. I mean, they've got tons of talent up front, and it hasn't shown so far. Certainly didn't show very much against Florida State. Uh, it has to show in this game. I agree wholeheartedly. And, uh, you know, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I think – if LSU does win this game, it 
I think this game could end up being the difference between whether they go to a bowl game or not. Because I think there are games on this schedule that they simply can't win. Um, so right. it could be the difference between the fifth, sixth, or seventh victory of the season. So we'll see uh, which LSU team shows up uh, and how Brian Kelly deals with things that are going on throughout a game. I just don't think LSU has the horses. And I think Mississippi State, frankly, I think they're a top 15 or 20 team in the country. I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. So it's not as much about LSU as I think that Mississippi State is a, is a very good team and not getting the recognition they deserve. Hey, let me say this real quick. Go ahead. Before we wrap up, let me say one quick. I like Tulane in their game against Kansas State. They're 14 points. I do too. Runs. Yeah. I, I, that, that game's going to mean a lot more to Tulane than it does K-State. And that's not any kind of knock at all on Tulane. But this is a good statement game for Willie Fritz. They're 2-0 for the first time in 20 years. They're going to go there with big intentions. K-State's got a big game next week. They could easily have their eyes on a different prize. And if nothing else, Tulane, I think, can cover that 14-point spread. We haven't done enough talking about Tulane, and now we'll start incorporating them into the predictions uh, when we get together starting next week and maybe do some some graphics for LSU and Tulane as well. Sounds it, good. It, it, well, th- I tell you, the first two weeks uh, of every football season – is just simply a blur for a sports writer. I know you feel the same way. Once you get into your routine, it, it gets a little bit better and you find ways to do things. But I, I barely figured how to find enough time to eat, and you know how much I love to eat. So, I mean, it, it, it's crazy. But I'm going to be in the dome with you on Sunday, and I will see you on Sunday. All right, buddy. I'll see you then. Always great, and I enjoy it every Friday. That's what we're going to be doing again. If you want to be a part of the show, Every Friday, 9.15 a.m., NOAA.com Facebook page, NOAA.com YouTube page, bet.noaa.com Facebook and YouTube pages. We've got a lot of stuff going on at both of those places besides Datitude. We have the Bayou Bet Show on Monday and Thursday. We have fun with Zach and Spencer on those. So feel free to join us and uh, leave your comments and questions. We'd be glad to have you. All right, well, that's just going to about wrap up the show. I was trying to think of what song. We could finish up. If you're a regular listener, you know I like to wrap up a song with a kind of a pertinent song, uh, kind of something that fits the day. And I'm like, you know, I, I haven't talked about weather in a while because the weather's been nice this week. I mean, I haven't bitched about the weather, and it's been a little while now. So that means the humidity's coming back. I'm ugh. No, 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 I'm just kidding. It's, it's been fun. It's been good. It's been great to call high school football games again. By the way, I'll be at Shaw Rummel. Tonight, uh, Rumble's playing at Shaw on the West Bank. My first trip back to my alma mater in quite a while. I'll be doing that for VSN. Looking forward to that. We'll have fun with it. But how are we going to close out this show today? And Jeff said something that stuck out at me. Um, He talked about how the Saints are going to need to have patience. I think that's fitting. And I agree wholeheartedly. You know, it was kind of a little bit, I don't, they lose that game. You come down the stretch there at the end, spiking the ball when you're not supposed to spike it, doing some things that would just kind of weak one things with a new staff. And Jameis is only really seven games in as quarterback of the Saints. I think they lacked a little patience. Something they're going to need this week against Tom Brady because, look, this is going to go back and forth. There's a good chance you're going to find yourself behind, and you might find yourself behind in a critical situation. As long as it's not too far down, stick with it and keep patience. All we need is a little patience, Axl Rose. 
Don't you feel the same way? Maybe LSU could use a little patience, too. Whatever. It's the theme of the day, and it's how we're ending the show. Don't forget, every Monday, Thursday, and Friday, Datitude. That's right. Boys and girls, we are back three days a week having fun. Monday reviewing the Saints game. Thursday making our best bets with Uncle Big Nick. Friday with Jeff Duncan. We are into the heart. Well, I mean, I don't know about the heart. But we're in to the when it counts. I mean, it's fun. It goes by way too fast, but we're having a lot of fun. And we thank you so much for being a part of our listener audience, whether you are listening for the first time or you have been a regular throughout the past year. We thank you so much. Datitude, every major uh, podcast platform, search for it, subscribe, and we will see you on Monday. Wrapping up, Saints Bucks, I'll be in the Dome on Sunday. I'll give you my thoughts. Zach and I are going to have live shows from the Dome on our same bet.nola.com and nola.com platforms. Make sure you join us. We will talk to you on Monday. Have a wonderful weekend. And dare I say, who that? Peace and love, my friends. All we need is just a love.